You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded whores. Welcome back to 50 Plus a Tip. I'm your host, Danica. Today we are joined by Joanne. Jo is a professional dancer appearing in casino review shows, TV commercials, cruise ships, and industrial and promotional shows in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, which means she danced in clubs back when the clubs were referred to as go-go bars and then called gentlemen's clubs. After retiring from dancing, Joe worked as a house mom at Delilah's for almost 20 years and also founded their shows and dance team programs. She also developed the contest into what they are today, legendary. On top of that, Joe choreographed, co-produced, and stage managed all of the events. She is currently retired and happily married, residing with her husband, four resident rescue cats, her rescue dog, and foster kitties. Never one to sit idly, Joe still makes time to do costume signings for a performance group based in Philadelphia. We really enjoyed sitting down with Joanne and talking about her experiences as a dancer in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, and her experience as a house mom, which is a side of the industry we haven't yet got to explore yet. And you guys are really going to enjoy this episode and really going to enjoy this discussion with us and Joanne. So here you go. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. So as we mentioned in the intro, you danced back when gentlemen's clubs were referred to as go-go bars. What does that mean exactly? How was go-go dancing different than dancing today? Okay, so when I first started, um, you it was different at different bars. Some bars you stayed behind the bar, so you walked around for your tips from behind the bar and you would communicate with the customers and accept your tip by literally reaching across the bar the same way a bartender would serve a drink. So basically you could get as close as you could doing that. I mean, no girls ever hopped up on the bar or anything like that. It was pretty restrictive in in that respect. And I actually liked that better. I was a little bit of a um, conservative dancer across the board from beginning to end. Um, so that was one club, but at the same time, there were other clubs that allow you to walk, we used to call it walking around the bar. So you could walk around the outside of the bar up to each customer at the bar stools. And there were also tables and chairs that you could go to because you were allowed to be outside of the bar. Um, and sometimes you only had six songs to walk around because you might only have three dancers on. So each dancer does a three-song set, and then uh, you have the six songs to go around. And in those days, you had to change every set. So you had to basically leave a song to change your costume. Um, And there were jukeboxes. So sound like vaudeville day. I always used to make the girls laugh and say, the vaudeville days of when I go-go danced, (laughs) we had to play our own music. But then some clubs started having DJs, and then eventually it segued to all of them having DJs. Um, and during that time that I was dancing, that was in New Jersey. Um, it, they were like uh, bikini bars. They weren't topless, um, but you wore a G-string. And um, at that same time, there was Delilah's was opening up. So Delilah's was open when I was still working in New Jersey, and... I lived five minutes from Delilah. So there was just a point where I just said, this is ridiculous. I should work in Philadelphia. I think I was a little timid to work where I lived. And I just thought it's just too, and I did it. It was fine. And part of 
what catapulted me to be okay to work at Delilah's was because first of all, it was a lovely, it's a lovely club and it's a topless club and I was not very comfortable being topless. Um, but I had just done a gig in Aruba and I was on the beach every day topless cause you were allowed to be there. And I just was so comfortable with being topless from being on the beach every day. The show I was in in Aruba was not topless. It was not a topless show, but the beach was, and we loved being topless. And so I thought, you know what, just do it. And it was a really good move. And I'm very happy uh, that I went there. I was very happy that I went there to dance. So did you have like full costumes, almost a burlesque Mm -hmm. type um, get up? No. So when I worked at in the go-go bars, you could wear whatever you wanted. So you always started with a cover up and then, but they were more or less, I always just wore the typical, whatever you could buy or the costume ladies sold. So the costume in the photograph that you're going to use, that was from when I danced in the casino shows in Atlantic city. And those costumes were quite elaborate depending on what the number was. We had some full out showgirl costumes with the, feather the high feathers and the big boa feathers in the back and rhinestones and fishnets and they they were full review shows so they were the dance and the costume was based on whatever song we were dancing to or whatever the theme of the show was dictated the costumes for that but when I danced at the go-go bars you know you just the typical of what was in style then um and then when I went to Delilah's uh it was, you know, you you didn't have to have a cover-up on in the same way you, we did in the go-go bars. You kind of didn't, you had to have a, a gown on, actually, is what it was. We had to wear gowns there. Well, it was a cover-up. It just wasn't, you couldn't wear whatever you wanted to. They were very strict. That, when you're I saying... Think, when you're saying that the bar was topless, are you just walking around without a top the entire time or are you at one point just, taking off your top? Just on the stage, you would go topless on your third song. In fact, <laughs> this is a little funny story. I, somehow I, I worked in the daytime at Delilah's when I first, uh, I only worked there in the day ever actually. And I got away with not taking my top off and no manager ever noticed. I, I don't know if they noticed and they let me slide or they just didn't notice. Until one day, the the owner, um, he calls me over and I said, oh, I'm busted. And I know the owner because he knew I danced in the shows in Atlantic City. And one of his other bars, which was outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey, the owner of that was also a casino boss. So it was all kind of, they, they knew me. They knew me as being a regular a regular dancer, a review show dancer. So I thought, oh, I'm busted. He's calling me over to say, this is a topless club. It's not like our club in New Jersey. Take your top off. And he didn't say that. He was asking me how I kept so fit or how did I keep my butt in such good shape or whatever. It was very polite. It wasn't, you know. But then a few weeks later, one of the managers said, come here. And he said, you know, this is a topless club. Take your top off, so it's fine. But then you put your top back on and you walk around and you ask for dances. And then in the in the dance rooms is when you take your top off. Okay, so you're taking them off for for lap dances and stuff as well. Yeah, but you couldn't. You had to walk around um, in your gown. Okay, yeah. Or your dress. I, that's pretty similar to um, the states 
now as well, right? Typically you have to wear a, ga- a gown or a skirt or a cocktail dress over your outfit? So, yeah, depending on what the club... Uh, at Delilah's at the time in the day, you could wear a short dress, but it had to be like dressy. Mm-hmm. You know, they were pretty strict. I don't know now. I think now they wear gowns for the showcase, but maybe it's a little more liberal with what they can wear uh, throughout the, the day and the night. But for the showcase, they have to wear a gown. Right. And so you had a dancing career that spanned three decades. What were some of the major changes that you saw during that time? <laughs> well, one is walking, you know, walking around for dollars. We, when I first started, you would, you would just get a dollar from every customer. But you know, it was go-go was getting very popular then because the dollhouse in Myrtle beach, the one that was in the song, the dollhouse in Fort, Oh, Fort Lauderdale, not Myrtle beach, Fort Lauderdale. Do you know the song? Is that ZZ top? My mom was anyway, a big ZZ top fan. So I yes, <laughs> I should, I should know there's a song and they talk about this. So, you know, go-go and then gentlemen bars were starting to get really popular. Um, so it would get the, the go-go bar would get very crowded on on a weekend or, or cocktail, you know, after work, five o'clock. It could be packed in like sardines. So going around the bar for dollars and then around to where the tables are, you could you could make, you know, decent amount each time around. And then you'd have people that would give you five dollars or five ones that, you know, they would put it like here, 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 and you you know. I don't know if you girls probably never even seen what that's like. And then somebody could give you a 20. And of course there were girls that that had customers that would give them a hundred each time they walked around, but there was no sitting and talking with customer that even your regular customers that just what you would, maybe the girl would stay with him a little longer, but you only had five songs to go around. And then, and the regular customer understood that, she can't just sit with him. There's nowhere even to sit because it wasn't set up for that. I mean, maybe if it was slow, you you could sit down. If there was a spot, you know, just depended on the day, the time, the shift, you know, time of year. Um, but then I saw it progress into, you know, Delilah's where it was a gentleman's club. So you're doing, you're not walking around. Although I think they there are clubs that don't really like this, but you would still could get tips from every customer. But the goal was to go into the dance room or the champagne room in the back. I, I think that's how it is now, right? I mean, you're walking, you're asking. You're, I mean, sometimes somebody call you right over off stage and say, do you want to go in the champagne room or go for a dance? You know, I think that's how it is now. Yeah. So, well, where we are, it's the quick breakdown is there's really two separate. There's stage girls and there's VIP girls. And stage girls are scheduled sets. So they do six sets on set, six um, song sets typically, depending on the club. Oh, wow. They go up when they're scheduled to, and then they come off, and the next girl goes up. And then it's up to their prerogative if they want to walk the room and try to sell dancer, if they want to go hide upstairs. And then the VIP girls never go on stage and they just wander around the room trying to sell private dances or champagne rooms. Um, that's kind of how the breakdown is uh, for most of Canada, at least. It'd be really nice if people were handing out dollars as you, as you walked around there. Or $100 and not having to sit with them. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, it, it, sort of the, the amount of money that you're looking to make now and, you know, back then, 30 years ago is, is different, but 
if everybody gives you a dollar or two or five, but then you get, then get to go in the champagne room, you make the little money in between, you know. Uh, what would you say um, the average girl would be making on a shift? Um, and did that change over time? Did you see more money coming in? Did you see less money coming in? Um, I think I always was making more money and more money and more money because you could go in the champagne room. So that affords you, you know, more money. You're not going to make that much walking around for tips in the old format as you do with a pre-set amount of money that you're going to make for that hour. I mean, just for example, I mean, I, I could make, you know, on a Saturday night or a Friday afternoon in a four-hour shift, back in the go-go days, you could make $400, but they paid you too. They paid us $10, that club, one club, the pay scale was anywhere between 10 and 20 an hour. So we got paid. And then if it was busy and you hustled and you, you timed it right, like you didn't stay with somebody too long that only gave you $3 or $5, you have to time it out, right? Because you want to try to hit everybody. You know, like I said, even if everybody's only giving you a few dollars, if it's packed and you, you hustle, sometimes we wouldn't even go to the bathroom. Be like, oh my God, if I go to the bathroom, you know, that could be, $25 or something. It was that kind of hustle. Expensive was, bathroom break. <laughs> it was very tiring because you really didn't sit down. And, you know, we had our costumes in suitcases and we kept our money in locked briefcases. Do you know about that? Um, not the briefcases. I know most of us travel with um, suitcases of our costumes still. Yeah. So then, you have your money in a briefcase. Anybody could have just walked out of the dressing room. These girls knew really very honest back then. Well, yeah, that, I don't know if girls would do that yeah. nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, Wait, what yeah. would you say were kind of like the positive and the negative changes you've seen in the clubs over that time? I guess the emergence of more contact seems to be a big thing that right. happened in those years, right? Originally, you were saying it was just behind the bar. And then it became topless. And then I assume table dances became a thing. And then private dances in the champagne rooms right. um, as a natural progression. Um, would you say so those, there, are, those are positive, negative changes? Well, when so when it was in the go-go days, when I worked in New Jersey, when you could walk around the outside of the bar, there was a lot of just touching that went on. But I didn't particularly care for that or allow it. Um and I probably make less money because of that, but I think everybody has their own boundaries and that, that's what worked for me. I didn't have any mouths to feed but my own, so I didn't judge anybody for it, but some of the girls, other dancers were very kind and they would tell me, when you're coming around behind me, I will tell the customer, do not manhandle her the way I'm allowing you, which is very generous and very sweet. Um, for other dancers to, you know, to say that just because I'm allowing this, this next dancer coming doesn't like that. But, you know, I think the whole industry changed into a whole different dynamic when the gentlemen's club emerged and you have private rooms and back rooms and semi-private areas, just more contact is it's just naturally going to evolve. Yeah, that's very nice of the dancers. I feel like nowadays you get a guy in a private dance and the first thing he says is, well, she let me do that. Or she let me do this. 
And I lost a lot of customers at Delilah's, really good customers because of that too, because I was also, I, you know, I used to say to them, well, do you want to pay all my bills? Because I could get fired and then I would say, I would point to fake things and say they were cameras. <laughs> That's what we do too. Yeah, absolutely. That's you why I say when people. Yeah, I always say if guys like try to push boundaries, I say if I get fired, are you gonna pay me my annual income? Right. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you noticed a change, either when you were dancing through those three decades, or when you're a house mom looking kind of more of an, a different a different point of view, but still seeing the inner workings of the club? Did you notice a change in the dancers themselves? Um, do the ladies in the club look different now than they did back then? Um, is a certain look more accepted or less accepted now, for example? Well, I feel like the quality of um, the girls got better. You know, it became more diverse, let's just say that. Not better, because that's not the right word. They became a more diverse pool of girls that danced because dancing became more acceptable. Also, the opportunities to make more money were there. So it became very attractive for a lot of different women to do that as a a profession. Um, I feel like when I first started, there wasn't as much diversity. Uh, And when I feel like when I started I started because my girlfriend started. We were both professional dancers, and she started doing it first. And she's, in fact, she produced shows as well. And she said, you know, you really should come watch me. She goes, come see what it's all about. This is great, you know. And and I went, and I was like, I can do that, you know. And uh, I did it. I quit. I was a waitress at the time. And like I, I think I had told you, I was in shows. Shows are could be three months, six months. They're gigs, so you leave. So what restaurant's going to let you, unless you've worked there for fifteen years, going to let you come and go like that? It's just not practical. Um, so it was perfect for being able to stop and go off and do a gig for three months or six months or whatever it was. Um, but when I first started dancing, this is a funny story. I I had quit at the restaurant, but I didn't tell them that I was go-go dancing, but I went back and I had all this cash and it was like tipping everybody. And they, and they told me afterwards, they said, we thought you robbed a bank or something. Cause they <laughs> come in there. And Just robbing playing. wallets. Yeah. <laughs> robbing yeah. men and willingly. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the industry was a little more innocent back then. And even up until when I stopped dancing, which is quite a while now, it, in comparison, it was more innocent than I know what goes on now. Yeah. So um, aside from the diversity of the dancers themselves, which is something I've noticed even in the decade I've been dancing, um, I find, especially in Vancouver, um, there's a lot more like the alternative look that was never really accepted back when I first started. You had to have long hair. You couldn't have unnatural hair colors. You had yeah. to be shaved. You couldn't have tattoos. Um, now there's a lot of girls with, you know, leg or armpit hair and different hair yeah. colors or shaved heads and tattoos, yeah. um, which which is nice to see. It's nice to see the diversity and the acceptance for sure. What about- I mean, like the- diver- not just diversity, uh, the physical diversity, but- 
diversity in 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 people's lifestyles and and just what they're about you know mm. there's so many girls in college a real estate age just seems more diverse or maybe I got to know the girls more you get to know each other a little more when you're not like sort of having to be out on the floor all the time like you did when it was go-go you couldn't hardly hang out in the back it just didn't you're constantly on stage you know you have to be on stage every six songs so do you think I mean, that I, there has been a change and I guess for lack of a better word the sisterhood or the community of dancers do you feel like it's improved with more people coming into the industry or it's kind of expanded and people aren't as tight I think it's the same because the girl, like I guess they were very sweet back then. And I just want to tell this one thing while I'm thinking of it. We used to get paid. And one of the girls that I felt like an older dancer than she was probably, you know, not just because I was younger. She said, stop telling the owners how much money you're making. She's like one of these smart go-go dancers. Stop telling the owner, girls, stop telling them what you're making. Once they figure out how much we're really making, it's not going to fare well for us. So there was that. And then it started being so crowded. It's so jam-packed on a Saturday night. Girls would say, let me just come in and work. You don't have to pay me. Just let me come in and I can go on stage or I don't have to go on stage. That's how crowded it was. And if, if there were more girls on, then it gave the other girls more time to walk around. So kind of, even though there were more dancers, so talking about instead of three dancers, there were six dancers, you know? Um, So that's how the owners really, I saw it happen. They got the idea, look, these girls are making so much in tips that we don't have to pay them. So that's how it segued into nobody getting, I mean, I, I literally was there when that happened from getting paid to, you know, people willing to quote unquote work for free in the owner's minds. They didn't have, they stopped paying us. Yeah. We see that even now with like, if the manager knows you make good money, you're one of the top sellers, Mm -hmm. they expect you to tip out 30% instead of the 10% the other girl might. So yeah, it's, there's definitely, it's sad to hear that the Mm -hmm. management has always had um, n- n- kind of like nefarious intentions with the mm-hmm. the women making money because you'd like to think that they're on your side. Um, mm-hmm. And not obviously, you know, disclaimer, not all management. I've had a lot of really wonderful managers in my time in the industry. But yeah, they, I, I do see a trend of that with a lot of women I've spoken to in the industry where management's kind of like, oh, what can I – how can I benefit from you working hard? <laughs> well, so you well and on top of that uh, – sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Do you have to um, tip the managers? Oh, yeah. So um, most clubs I work out, you have to tip them like a $20 tip out at least at the end of the night. And then you also tip your um, – if there's a VIP person, you have to tip them upwards of 30% for what you're making. And then you have to tip out the guy that cleans the stage. And then you have to tip out the DJs this amount percentage. So – Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, you see the same sort of trend. Um, and especially through COVID – the clubs were hurting with uh, everything being locked down for a bit. So instead of raising the prices of the dance, they raised the tip out that uh, the dancer had to give them. So here in um, Vancouver, um, at least where I worked when I first started dancing, dances were $50 and you tipped out 10 and now you tip out 20. And, and I've only been dancing at this club for four years. 
Wow. Yeah. So it's like they, yeah. Yeah. So the, but the dancers haven't gone up $10. You are just making $10 less per dance. Right. Wow. Yeah, I know that's um, an issue. I spoke with a, a friend of mine who was in the industry for 20 years, and she was like, it's crazy how much inflation has happened with the dollar, yet dances are still the same amount that they've been since the 80s here in Canada, and we're still just tipping out more and more and more each year, and our cost of living is more. One dance is $50? Yeah, here in Vancouver, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't but know the dancers either. are only getting about twenty five percent of that, right? Twenty five yeah. to thirty dollars. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, and they're uh, full node. Every dance is full node. Wow, but they can't touch you, right? No. I mean, do they? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there are no contact dances here. See, I could see paying your VIP person that or that person maybe helps you get dances. That seems – oh, they don't? Mm-mm. No. They literally are just sitting in the back room eating their lunch. <laughs> oh, not Getting your tip you, out. Like finding no. like guys that no, no, might, no. might like blondes or short hair. You know, they kind no, of a management might, might help you as they like you. They might, you know, mm-hmm. let you know. But typically you're obligated to tip out whether that person even hindered your income. Um, I've had situations where the management was like kind of rude to my – person and then the person mm-hmm. had gave me a side look and I'm like you are screwing up my hustle here and I still have right. to tip you at 30 percent like you're screwing us both over but, that's crazy but mm-hmm. the person that you're not that you're tipping it out to isn't the one keeping it like it's the club's cut essentially right. oh I see and the managers so oh okay it's not like a direct I see yeah it's not you're you're not oh, okay. paying specifically one right. person so they don't really care if to help you or not, because they're not getting the money. Like they have to rely on you to tip on top of that. If they get your, if they directly help you, then you may tip them because then they, yeah, the incentive is there, but there's just a mandatory tip out that doesn't go to anyone in the club. Yeah. We're pretty much like hemorrhaging money. (laughs) We tipped the DJ and the house mom. That was it back then. I don't know. But in GoGo, you didn't, when it started with DJs, we didn't tip, the DJs we didn't know to do that I think yeah I think I I mean I'm okay tipping a DJ if I'm doing stage and you know they're playing my songs and they're hyping me up on stage Mm -hmm. I have an issue as a VIP dancer with a DJ (coughs) I have never once interacted with and they play none of my music and their music doesn't impact me at all to then give them $40 at the end of the night it's like and you're getting this off 80 girls like and you're that's making more than like, us at this yeah, point. Yeah, you're making more than us. Sometimes. And you're being like, paid probably. Yeah, that's and when I'm like, why am I tipping you? <laughs> well, at Delilah's tip back to when I was a house mom, and it was the same for DJs, we had to pay to work there. So as yeah, a same house here. mom, I had a house fee, the DJs had, so they did have to, you know, pay. Yeah, so so same with here. We have a floor fee, and that ranges anywhere from $40 to $200, $300, depending on where you're working. Um, and then that's just to walk in the door. Um, you won't get that back. Even if you make no money that night, you're out that money. Um, and then you're tipping out per song you tip out and then you're tipping out percentage of what you make for some clubs and then you're tipping out your DJ and then you're tipping out your management and then you're tipping out your backroom person, um, as well. So yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of money coming through us, but not to us. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then those wondering when you said you, you know, you could average $400, um, a shift, 
Um, in the 1980s, we just Googled it, and that would be the buying power of around $1,400 um, nowadays. So you're making pretty good money. Four hour day shift? And we didn't have to tip anybody. Yeah. That so would be like a four to eight. You, I could make like three to four at this one particular club, four to eight on a Friday night. But it would be right. <laughs> I'm talking about like, you're, excuse me, you could barely walk through. The crowd. Crazy. I mean, it's how popular. I mean, the place was making a fortune, and it was really just a go-go bar. It was not much, you know. They had a couple lights, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, little floor. It wasn't. They were making a fortune. They Crazy. Had, yeah. So we yeah. spoke about how um, the workers in the club have changed. The females, but. Have you seen or did you see a change in the clientele that was coming into the club over the over the years you danced? Was it mm-hmm. younger people starting to come in, different ethnicities, different, you know, tax brackets? I think it depended on the shift for who would come in in any club, you know, daytime, night Saturday nights you're going to get young guys more so than a Thursday night. It was more based on the nights. Um, and Delilah's, it was the same way, like depending on the shift, what night a week depends on what customers you would mostly get in there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think it's the same nowadays too, that the weekends you're going to get more of a younger crowd and then like a day weekday, you're going to get an older, uh, more business, business crowd as well. Well, Um, I I know one more thing when I did go-go dancing I actually worked for an agency and they sent you every shift to a different club so in the South Jersey area so depending where the club was would also dictate what type of customer you know there was one place I would go to it was like every other guy had a tooth missing like every time every (laughs) love that earlier yeah so depended on what neighborhood it was into a little bit you know, when you're traveling around like that in these different towns, because there were a lot of little bars. Mm-hmm. I think it's different now. I don't think there's as many little bars like there were. Right. I know we touched on this before um, a little bit briefly, kind of scanned over it, the, the earning potential of the clubs. Um, moving through the 80s, 90s, and 2000s when you were dancing, were, did you notice the earning potential increasing over the the years as they went, or was there less money? I know, I know a lot of girls I know that have been in the industry for the last decade have said that the potential to make money in the club has become less over the last decade um, because I don't know if that's a rise with you know um, online work taking clientele mm-hmm. or there's more escorting now and sugar babies now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people um, kind of have their own theories on that. But did you notice that kind of earning potential increase or decrease over the decades you danced? Um, I think I stopped when it was in the heyday of it being super crowded. I mean, I didn't work at night when I was at Delilah's. I worked there for two years before they asked me to become a house mom. And I only worked the day shift. And at night, it would get really packed then. I mean, so packed. And I would see it more when I became a house mom because I was a house mom on Saturday nights. And it was packed in there it doesn't get like that anymore even before covid you know that i think 
we used to be very in fashion at that time to do business and gentlemen. You know, it was the Howard Stern era. It was a different era of gentlemen's clubs, so to speak. And uh, I, I just, the best way for me to describe it is it, it went out of fashion as far as socially acceptable. It used to be the thing, you know, to go there, do business there, have a business dinner, and then, you know, the guys come in and, you know, you know, they've been, you can tell when they've been at a business dinner. It's, usually that's not on a Saturday night, but on Saturday nights it was all young guys, but it would be packed. And even up until when I stopped house momming, um, it was still packed on Saturday nights, but I know it's not like that now. It's just, there's not the same. I mean, I would have on a Saturday night, sometimes 60 dancers. I don't know what it's like where you work now. But I mean, every Saturday night, 50 to 60. And you needed that many. That's how crowded it was. I think if you had 50 or 60 dancers in my club, that would be half the capacity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've worked some clubs where there's 80 girls on a weekend yeah. night. Um, and I think the trend is that more people are dancing and less people are coming to the dance clubs, <laughs> which is, is really shitty <laughs> if you really think about it. Yeah. Um, and I do – I agree with what you're saying because I have clients that are – older that come to the club and they always tell me, you know, back in 19, whatever, um, I yeah. used to have my business meetings here on a Wednesday afternoon, every Wednesday. And I'm like, okay, you don't really see that much. Like they'd be like, I'm going to, I would pull up contracts onto the table and like order mm-hmm. my nachos and do my contract. Yeah. Um, which yeah, is not, it's not really a thing you're seeing mm-hmm. too often nowadays. Um, also a lot of clubs aren't even open during the daytime I find now. So, um, that could be another reason why it's not, not happening as much. So over those three decades, a lot has happened in the economic arena. So, you know, in the late 90s, you had the Microsoft, Apple tech bubble, um, and then it burst kind of in 2000, 2001, and then six to seven years later, we see people building back up, and then the infamous 2008 crash. How did it look for the club during these times? Did you see those economical changes impacting the club? Yeah, I think after the crash in 2008 is when men stopped coming in there um, and being as vocal about coming in and indispensable cash and business deals didn't look good to be doing business deals or even business association, business being associated with Gentlemen's Club because it looked irresponsible, I think. So that slowed down. But the club, you know, still Saturday nights, it was still packed because that's a different dynamic. You have guys coming in after the games. Um, So... Yes and no, you know, depending on what night, I think, and the demographic of the customer coming in. Uh, Certain customers stopped coming in, I think, as much, or in groups, or being as vocal about it. It it sort of was like, I think, trendy. The trend went out of style, but it was a trend that lasted decades, I feel like, you know. All that old money and hedge funds slowly left the club. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, Anna Nicole's husband, <laughs> he was one of those. <laughs> yeah. So are there any club policies that exist today that wouldn't have in the 80s or 90s or vice versa, any policies that existed then that do not exist today? So you mentioned, uh, you know, contact has slowly gone in Um uh, more and more acceptable or more and more required. Um, the amount of uh, how scantily clad you're dressed has also changed. Have there been any other sort of 
policies or rules that you've noticed a shift in? Hmm. I have to think about that. Uh, well, I mean, things, things are different, like make it rain, you know, that never existed for, you know, that now that's not even new, but, um, both a policy that. and a rule, you must make it rain. <laughs> yeah, right. a requirement. A requirement. Yeah, exactly. That's cute. Um, you know, I, I think the tipping everybody is, that's didn't exist. Um, you know, the contact that didn't exist. I think we mentioned those already. Um, I really can't. Those are the main things, I think. Uh, oh, one thing I do feel like back in the day, uh, a dancer would never tell a customer another dancer's business. They were more discreet. You know, they they might try to drive drive wedges to, uh, especially if it's a good customer, kind of make him not like her. But never by telling personal. It seemed like there was more decorum of of that. Um, I know I used to wear like a big fake ponytail it used to clip in and not many girls wore those. And I remember a, a, a girl told a customer, it wasn't my real hair. And I thought, why would, that's not very nice. And that was a long time ago. Why would you, you know, why would you do that? And I know that even when I was dancing, customers would try to get me to say something disparaging about another dancer. And even if I didn't like her, I would not do it. I would not get sucked into that. Um, and so what I'm hearing say, is men have been shitty across all decades. <laughs> and I would say, you know, if you want to know that, you, you need to ask her. I'm not going to give you private information about somebody. And I'm also not going to speak poorly about another dancer. I'm just not going to do it. But they, it was almost like very immature on some customers' parts. But they would try to drum up trouble. Oh, they love guys love the drama more yeah. than anyone I've ever met. I I wear a whole damn wig uh, at work, mm-hmm. and I am just waiting for a time. I mean, I don't think that anyone has told a customer, at least to my knowledge, that it's a wig. But I am just waiting for someone to like whip it off, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I think now uh, hair extensions, you know, having altered hair is so normal now. I don't think a girl would go out of her way to speak disparaging, thinking what she think is going to be disparaging against you by saying you mm-hmm. have fake hair. Like, oh, so what's new? You know? Yeah. Boobs, lashes, yeah. hair, yeah. what else? I, mean, <laughs> I remember like not... years ago, a girl that we were always kind of top sellers and we were always mm-hmm. kind of like competing. I mean, she was competing. I was kind of like, whatever, do your thing. <laughs> like, good yeah, for you. Right. Um, but she would go around and be like, she's pregnant. <laughs> <I'd be> like, <laughs> Okay, well then, give me more money for my unborn child. Right. Like, right. like I'll play into it, sure. Um, but yes, I, I but, agree with you. Like, girls nowadays really, I think, are very catty, um, much yes, more than than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, I unfortunate. think they're getting because they're more desperate than mm-hmm. harder to make money. It was easier to make money. I mean, the 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 older go go dancers from when I first started go go dancing, they would say. Well, when I first started dancing, a dollar was worth a dollar. So, and that's like the, the 60s when they go-go danced. I think that's probably what they were talking about, the 60s and 70s, maybe. The dollar was worth a dollar. So if you went around and every – there's 25 guys and everybody gave you a dollar, that's $25 was worth way more. You can probably Google it what was $25 worth in the 60s and 70s. 
you know, so that's that. <laughs> when dollar was, you know, so when that person said that to me, that would have been uh, when I first started dancing. I guess it was like maybe 89, 90. And those girls were saying that, you know, and some of them may have been dancing for 15 years, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah, the same four hundred dollars in nineteen seventy would now be um, almost fourteen hundred. No, no, the in the nineteen seventies oh. would now be almost three grand. Yeah, so the dollar was, you know, you say, you know, when I was younger, the dollar was worth a dollar. If every guy gave you a dollar, you know, yeah. they would probably get more. Now it's a. Uh, worth less and uh minus a tip mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you quit dancing and you moved into a more behind the scenes role what made you want to transition from dancer to house mom um can you explain to the listeners what a house mom is and how did you get hired to be a house mom at delilah's why did they they asked me to be a house mom i did not apply to be a house mom i was 39 turning 40 and they needed a house mom um, so one of the other house moms said, why don't we ask, my dance name was Michelle, because I was already doing choreography there. So she thought, well, she's a little older than the other dancers. She's already choreographing numbers that we do at our special events. So the girls already see her doing something else here. So I kind of had another position already that developed. Um, and they offered me... And I said, well, I'll try it, but I've never had a job where I had to be in a room for eight hours. I, up until that point, I never did, except when I was a teenager, I worked in a, I've worked in clothing stores, but it had been so long since I'd done that. And I said, I didn't want to say, okay, and then not like it. And then it would look bad to, or ungrateful to retract from it. So I said, let me try it. And I ended up liking it. And during that time that I said, oh, I really like this. I want to continue. A house mom got fired. One house mom, I think, resigned. That's how I got the original one shift. And then another house mom got fired. Um, so I got two more. So I stopped dancing because it just, at first I was dancing and house momming because I only had one house mom shift. But then when I got three total, I was able to stop dancing. And it didn't really feel comfortable to be a dancer and house momming, it just, it just didn't feel right to me. And the three was fine because I had this other position there, uh, choreographing the numbers for the special event party. So I had that too. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement with the choreography at Delilah's, the shows, the dance teams, the contests? Yeah. So what, uh, one of the managers who was an owner who was also a pit boss in one of the casinos knew me from performing in the casino shows. And he told one of the other managers to ask me if I could do choreography. They said, you know, we, they called me up to the office, you know, you get called to the office, like school. Oh my God, what did I do wrong? Calling me to the office. And he said, you know, we know that you, you dance in the casino shows. So you obviously have, training in this do you think you could pick a few girls and choreograph a dance for them to do throughout the night at our Christmas party the club's Christmas party so I said you know sure so I picked like eight girls that of course I knew 
all the, at this point I was not a house mom yet. So I was a dancer, but I knew the girls. So I picked the ones that seemed like they would be interested and be responsible about it. And not all of them always were. I mean, that was a challenge, but I could always get them to do it. It was challenging. Um, and you know, there was always the one or two that were already, uh, trained dancers or had had gymnastics or eventually when club evolved and we got a more diverse group of girls and I, I had, you know, like Coco, she was in school to be, a, she was in college for dance. Mm -hmm. So I had that too, um, eventually, <laughs> not at first, but, um, so that's how that started and it went over very well. And, um, I also choreographed the dances not to be topless and the girls loved that. And I got away with that for a while. And then they were like, you can't, you have to choreograph these dances. At some point the girls take their tops off. So, you know, of course I did. I, they're my bosses. You know? mm -hmm. So, but it went over very well and it just evolved into these huge productions. And like I said, the more, girls that we got in that were trained dancers or trained gymnasts or really just devoted to pole work. Uh, we could just really put on some incredible productions. And I ran it the way I knew what I knew from being in professional casino review shows. And I expected everybody else involved. I think I made a lot of enemies, but I expected everybody involved to, I didn't care that it was a gentleman's club. We're going to do this right. And and when the owners got on board, the managers weren't always on board because it was a pain for them. But when the owner, especially the when the female owner came in at Greta Shami and she she was there 100 percent, that's when everybody started snapping to it and loving the shows. Oh, we love the shows now because we love helping out with them because Greta loves them. You know, OK, that's fine. It's phony, but you're going to help me more. So um, you <laughs> know, take we, it. Had, we had all, I mean, it was really, uh, and then we had a great marketing director that was involved and there, there was all the competitions existed prior to me getting involved, but, um, then the competitions became huge. You know, the prize money went up to $10,000 and, um, we had group competitions, people could come in from the outside. They were really complicated to do, but everybody was on board more or less. And there was one DJ that was really difficult. And years later I saw him and I said, he said, I have to apologize to you for the way I acted. He said, you were trying to run a, a professional gig and you, you were doing what you were hired to do. And, and I gave you the difficult time and, you know, felt nice to have that in retrospect, I said, but you, you exhausted me, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So something we hear a lot is that uh, you know you'll regret it when you're older. You'll regret dancing. You'll regret doing sex work. Um, do you have any regrets about dancing and or house mumming at all? No. The only regret I have is that I spent so much time around secondhand smoke. Mm. And that was you know that worries me to this day, but. Uh, dancing uh, served its purpose for me. Um, I liked being a house mom. I think I was a good influence on a lot of the dancers be because of how I lived my, my life, you know, and I tried to be a good influence. And a lot of dancers told me that they felt I was good influence the way I presented myself and the way I was. And, uh, and I've had a lot of dancers who were 
on, we also had a dance team at Delilah's, so they were select girls that would dance on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. And we had different, we had sports routines. We, you know, if it was a big sports night, they would do the sports routine, just depended on, on what it was. So that was in addition to the, the shows, special event, and the contest. We had this dance team. And, and a lot of the girls that were involved in all these productions said, you know, it made us, you made us feel like we were more than just strippers even though you're not just a stripper at a gentleman's club, but for lack of a better term, um, we, and the way you ran the shows for professionally, we felt like we were really doing something positive in that point in our life. So I feel good about it. You know, I don't have any regrets for doing it. And I had a lot of very strict boundaries of what I would and wouldn't do. So I don't know if that's why I feel that way. I was, I was very conservative (laughs) in, in my, how I presented myself, you know, sometimes I think that worked in my favor. You know, I had some good regular customers, but I still never crossed boundaries. So I probably could have done better financially. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, 3,000 you're doing okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as Jacqueline Francis says, nobody, nobody will ever let you forget being a stripper, but why would you want to? Yeah. So you have a husband with whom you are very happily married. Did mm-hmm. he know you had been a dancer before, and how did that conversation go? Mm-hmm. So uh, when I met him, I wasn't dancing, nor was I a house mom. Yeah, I was a house mom then. So I was a house mom, and I was driving for Uber and Lyft because I had resigned from Delilah's and went to scores in Atlantic City, like the famous scores in New York had a place in Atlantic City in the Taj Mahal Casino. And the the Taj was failing so badly. We were just, our shifts were being cut, 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 cut. And so I started driving for Uber Lyft. So I think he respected that when he met me, that I actually was doing that. And he, he basically said, I you can tell everybody I know that you were a dancer and that you were a house mom. It doesn't matter to me. But he was also um, extremely successful in what he had done when he worked. So he had nobody he had to answer to except family and friends. And I guess he knew nobody would judge me um, for that. You know, I think sometimes... An example is when I was dancing um, at Delilah's, I met a guy, and he was head over heels for me, and he was also at the age where he was climbing the corporate ladder, and he at first knew me as uh, somebody who was dancing in casino shows. I also had a little shop at the time. When he found out, he was more into me than I was into him. When he found out that... I was a dancer. He dropped me like a hot potato. And I thought, you know, I didn't feel bad about myself. I feel bad for him. That, that he yes, girl. <laughs> and then the other thing is he was trying to get into this exclusive club in Philadelphia called the Union League. I'm sure every city has an exclusive club that a lot of people like to join for business reasons. And I knew he had wanted to get into that, but we never got to this conversation. Well, my mother was best friends with one of it was very few women that were on the board that decides like how who becomes oh, a member it. or however. And I never <laughs> had that conversation. And he and I thought, okay, you, I could have helped you because this woman adored my mother. They were very close friends. 
I was thinking, hmm, I could have personally helped you get into the Union League, but now that's not going to happen. I think you have to get a certain, I don't know how it worked, but it's networking and Right. You know, I don't. Oh, I love it. Sweet, sweet justice. I (laughs) hope you shoved that in his face like pretty woman, like holding the bag. Big mistake. (laughs) I never, you know what? I never, after that, I just never spoke to him. I I wasn't that personally attached to him. You know, I just, just, that just was funny to me, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you're a bigger person than both of us. (laughs) (laughs) So, as we mentioned in the introduction, you're now retired. Why did you decide to retire from the clubs, and do you ever miss it? So I was working um, at this other little club because the scores closed, and one of my old managers from Delilah's knew so, and he's working at a little club, and he said, um, would you like to come work for us? So I did, and I first was working three nights, and then my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, kind of said, well, what do you make when you work and I told him he said well how about if I just you know give you that money every week I was, okay that works um but then eventually when we got married I just went down to one night and when COVID came I basically you know said I can't come in you know it was two years ago in February 28th I remember was going to be my last shift and then my husband said I don't want you going in at all like you really shouldn't even go in there. And I, I called the owner and I talked to them and they said, we understand. And whenever you're ready to come back, you can come back. And I just, I just said, I'm not coming back. You know, after the two years, I'm just not coming back, not going back. I'm done. They asked me if they needed a house mom. Somebody got fired. And I just said, um, they, they said, we know you're not going to come back, but we figured we'd ask you. And so that's basically COVID is what made me. All right, Joanne, before we let you go, we have three rapid fire questions. We ask all of our guests. They're a little naughty. So the first one, I love that your husband literally walked in as this time comes up. <laughs> we're, we're old. Sit down. I'm going to be 65 next in June, so we're a little older. You do not look 65 at all. Thank you. What, what age were you when you decided to stop dancing? Uh, thir- 40. I think I was 40 when, yeah, and I only stopped because they offered me the house mom position or else I would have kept going. It was fine. But I looked like 25 when I was 40. So and that's Yeah, true. you well, yeah. yeah, you look like so 20 plus no, years younger right now. So <laughs> was, Thank you. It was fine. I, I, I liked dancing, you know. I never even thought about being a house mom. They just offered it to me. It was lucky. That was lucky. Mm-hmm. Really lucky. All right. So the last three questions here. What is one thing on your sexual bucket list that you haven't done yet, but you want to try? <laughs> Listen up, husband. <laughs> Those days are over. It's <laughs> a boring answer, but it's true. Fair. I love your honesty. I'm adventurous in that category anyway, sort of square, but I never had any complaints. Good. You got a great track record then. (laughs) So the second question is, what is one thing you've tried sexually that you probably wouldn't do again? Uh, Let me think about it. So like uh, that whole thing is like a whole nother. A past life. (laughs) uh, That's Michelle. We don't know Michelle anymore. (laughs) I don't really say, you know what? I told you I was square. 
really not like I think more importantly is is um not giving men the power in that department. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's a very good concerned, you know, like respect yourself and your body and and know the reason why you're you're doing it. There's nothing wrong with a one night stand or anything like that, but if that's all it is, if emotions are involved then you respect yourself first. Don't give in to what you think he wants. You're 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 number one and never forget it. The other I thing that. I wanted to say I is the rapid fire before it's over or before we're done, tell these girls to save their money. Money if you save your money, money makes money. Save your money, invest your money wisely, get a a, a trustworthy financial advisor. Save your money. Money makes money. We live off of the money. You can live off of money, but you have to save it first. Mm-hmm. You know, handbags. It's a very shoes. smart. Yeah. If I if if there's one thing I can really want to tell dancers, especially dancers that are money makers, you know, shoes, handbag. I get it. I love them, and I still do. But if you can reel that in a little bit and save your money for your future. I know it sounds so far off, but money makes money. Just the money can make money. You don't even have to, you know, go into real, you can't go wrong with real estate either. Buy real estate, save your money, buy real estate. If you don't want to take the time or invest in, in, in doing that, it seems complicated. Save your money, pay your taxes on it, and, and get sound investments. You're going to see that money grow. I mean, right now, stocks aren't very good, but they're just on sale. (laughs) I hope you're saving your money. It's so important to to, to save and invest. So the last rapid fire question, you kind of, you kind of did already. The last rapid fire question is if you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? But I feel like you you just did. (laughs) Uh, Also, just adopt from animal shelters. Don't buy your pets. I mean, you know, I understand if there's an allergy situation, you have a family, I get that. But if, if, if you're, even if you're allergic, you can get those non-allergic type of cats and dogs from rescues. Just please, please utilize the rescues and the animal shelters. There's so many that need homes. Love it. Awesome. Joanne, thank you so, so much for sharing your time with us and sharing your experience. It's been very fascinating learning from someone who has the experience in the industry that you do. Thank you so much for making the time for us. And before we let you go, where can people find you? Um, they can find me at my fostering site at Miss Joanne's uh, Finishing School for Forgotten Cats on Facebook and Miss Joanne's Finishing School on Instagram. Awesome. And we will link those as well in the episode so people can easily, easily find you. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at 50plusatip or email at 50plusatip at gmail.com. Slide into the DMs with any questions, comments, great compliments, whatever you want to send us. We love getting them. Again, Joanne, thank you so, so much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure to listen to you and your experience. You're welcome. You two are lovely. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. And And happy happy whoring. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You two are so articulate. Goodness.